0: Our journey through the 12 steps reaches its halfway point today. And like Rich Strike in the Kentucky Derby, it's time for us to start making our move from a long shot to a leader in this remarkable journey toward a new life. But to get there, there are new challenges to navigate and more key decisions to make, including steps six and seven today. So far, we've acknowledged to God our powerlessness against sin and turned our whole lives over to God. That was steps one to three. We've made a list of our resentments and fears and sexual sins and shared them with a friend. Steps four and five. We are now ready for the next two steps, which call us to notice a pattern of our bad behaviors and character flaws and turn them over to God. Step six says, I am entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And step seven, I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. Today's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Romans, which captures the heart of these two steps beautifully. Paul paints a vivid picture for the Romans of how sin operates in our lives, he says it's something that has dominion over us. It it holds us hostage. It's like this seemingly inescapable pattern of repetitive behavior and character flaws that feel impossible to break. In chapter five, Paul says that the sin of Adam destined all of humanity into a life of sin and brokenness. And that means that in every person, sin is something that keeps us hostage and holds us back from a a life of holiness and freedom. Sin is like a recurring pattern, a repetitive tape on constant replay and endless cycle of behavior, a never ending loop that cannot be broken. Now, Paul, remember, was writing to the Greco-Roman world in the first century, which means that the people he was writing to would have been very familiar with the ancient stories of Greek mythology. They would have used these stories to explain the phenomena of the universe, but also the conditions of the human life. And one of those stories that Paul's audience would have definitely known is the story of Sisyphus. You likely know the story as well. He's a character introduced by Homer, who wrote stories about a thousand years before Paul. Sisyphus was one of the great tricksters and evildoers among all the humans in Homer's stories. He was a king who committed acts of greed and murder, deceiving the gods, including Zeus, on more than one occasion, and even succeeded in cheating death. Few people in all of Homer's stories embodied the qualities of sin as a repetitive pattern of destructive behavior as Sisyphus. Eventually, his destiny caught up to him, and he was condemned to an eternal punishment unlike any other. Each day in the underworld of Hades, Sisyphus would awake with the same looming task as the previous days— to take a large ominous boulder that sat at the base of a hill and push it all the way to the top. And if he could get that boulder to the top, the punishment would be over, he'd be set free. So each day Sisyphus would push and push and in the heat of the sun up to that incline, inch by inch, but just as he would get to the top, just a few pushes away until freedom, the weight of the boulder would take over and it would roll and crash down to the bottom and Sisyphus would have to start over. And that would be the repeating pattern of his life every single day. For Paul, that is what sin is. As he wrote his words to the Romans, he portrayed sin as this force that held us hostage, condemning us to repeating patterns of behavior that we cannot break on our own. And step six calls us to identify those repeating patterns of thoughts and behaviors that make us stumble and damage our relationships? What are those recurring patterns of sin that play on and on in you, like a a tape that is stuck on repeat in your life that you cannot break no matter how hard you've tried, like that boulder you simply cannot push to the top? In the recovery community, we would point to these as addictive behaviors. But for all of us on this spiritual journey, we all have patterns of behaviors and character defects that we cannot end on our own, for which we just can't push stop. One of my favorite stand-up comedians is John Mulaney, and he tells a story of when he was 11 years old, hanging out with a friend in a local restaurant. In that restaurant was a jukebox. He and his buddy thought it would be fun to put in some money and punch in some songs. The cost was three songs for $1. So he and his buddy put in $7 and punched in 21 replays of What's New Pussycat by Tom Jones. And then they ordered their food and waited. He observed that the second time the song played, people were thinking one of two things. Either, hmm someone ordered What's New Pussycat a second time. Or, hmm, What's New Pussycat is a lot longer of a song than I remembered. So by the time the fourth replay of the song came around, people were starting to get a little agitated. They were thinking, wait a minute, some jerk has punched in What's New Pussycat four times. Or they were thinking, hmm, someone has punched in What's New Pussycat twice and it's a really long song. So John Mullaney said, it wasn't until the fifth time. Well, there was a bit of silence at first, at the end of the fourth song. The, the restaurant patrons were hushed and nervous, and then, wah, wah, what's new, pussycat? Whoa, 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 began playing for the fifth time, and that's when people started yelling. Expletives were hurling, silverware was flying, It felt like an unbreakable pattern. But then Mulaney said that at some point, as he and his buddy John were punching in all of those What's New Pussycats, his friend said, wait, wait, before you punch in any more songs, you know what would be really funny? So after the seventh What's New Pussycat, they ordered one play of It's Not Unusual. So... After seven, torturous, what's new, pussy cats?" the crowd, who was at a fever pitch with anger, began to hear, It's not unusual to be loved by anyone. And the whole crowd sighed this huge sigh of relief. Mulaney said people were cheering, parents were hugging their children, grown men were crying. It was... It was as if Sisyphus had finally gotten that boulder to the top and the curse of Adam's sin had finally been broken and, and they had vanquished that crushing repetitive pattern of suffering forever. And then, after it's not unusual was over. Wah wah what's new pussycat? Whoa, oh. Step six is all about identifying your what's new pussycat. What are those patterns and character defects that you cannot break on your own? And then Paul gives us the good news of step seven right here in Romans chapter six, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey their desires. No longer present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Paul says that just as the first Adam sinned and destined all of humanity to the unbreakable repeating patterns of sin in our lives, Jesus is the second Adam whose death and resurrection offers new life and freedom for all of humanity. And because we cannot push that boulder on our own, we cannot break our own patterns, step seven is this, I humbly ask God to break my shortcomings. Just as in baptism Christ put to death our own sinful nature, in baptism we have been raised to new life, in identification with the resurrection of Jesus. We have been crucified with Christ and raised to new life in Christ. So step six says, I am entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And step seven, I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. As this sermon draws to a close, I invite you to prayerfully ponder what I think are the two main words in each of these steps They both happen to be adverbs. You know, we don't usually pay much attention to adverbs in sentences. They are often filler words, so very much often filler words, literally and figuratively, quite honestly. Professional writers would tell us to pay more attention to nouns and verbs for better impact in a sentence, but here the adverbs are important. Really, truly important. I am entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. Entirely, not partially, not temporarily, but with your whole will and while holding nothing back, ask God to push that boulder for you. Better yet, to pick it up and drop kick it. It'll be hard. It'll be painful. You may have gotten so used to pushing that boulder that you can't imagine what life will be like without that as a central feature to your life. You may want to hold on to that part of your life in fear of what you'll discover about yourself in its place. But be ready, be entirely ready to give it all over to God and do so with humility. Recognize that you cannot put an end to those patterns on your own. Simply say, God, I humbly ask you to push stop. I'm tired of listening to that same repetitive song in my life. John Mulaney says that after a while, the restaurant staff decided to unplug the jukebox after the 11th play of What's New Pussycat. And that's what God can do for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace, a grace that is amazing, unyielding, and revealing. May that grace illuminate for us the harmful patterns that have plagued us and replayed in us time and time again. And by your grace, push the stop button, push them over the mountain. In our powerlessness, we surrender ourselves to you, and in your love, we believe that you set us free. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.